Alright, everybody, it starts in three, two, one! Oh my god! I, I would never recommend to drop out with 20,000 subscribers. And I got the Mr. Beast seal of approval. He was like, you do that video, it's gonna be your first one to hit 10 million. This is absolutely insane. You were on the trending tab multiple times. You were number one on trending. Diving on a penny for one week starts right now. Let me in! What a world we live in. What a, what a thing we do. <laughs> That's so crazy. <laughs> Today, we're talking to one of our favorite creators, Ryan Trahan. He's a YouTube creator with over 3.4 million subscribers, and he's coming off one of his biggest series ever. His Penny series amassed millions of views and landed him number one on the trending page for the first time, which is something he's always wanted to do. We talked to Ryan about what inspired his most recent series and how he comes up with viral ideas that are putting him on track to become the next Mr. Beast. He's kind of like Mr. Beast on a budget, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Yeah, but like in a good way. In a good like, way. Like he's the Mr. Beast. He's that, not budget Mr. Beast. Right, right. He's Mr. Beast on a budget. You watch what he does and you're like, oh, I could kind of do that too. Yeah. And that's what's exciting. When you watch Mr. Beast, you're like, well, I can't buy an island. <laughs> yeah. So no, you, you can't. how do I do that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we also talked to Ryan about his journey as a creator and an entrepreneur. He got started really young and has a fascinating rise to where he is now. What's amazing about creators like Ryan is that they build these massive libraries of viral ideas. And when you do have a large library like that, there's a huge opportunity for creators to spread their content across different platforms in order to find new audiences and new revenue streams. There is a company that can do that for you, and they are the sponsor of today's episode, Jelly Smack. They are also the designer of Samir's sweatshirt. That's true. It's a very soft sweatshirt. It's, it's an incredible sweatshirt, but that's not what they do. They do not make apparel. Jelly Smack works with creators to get their content across multiple platforms, not only to grow their audiences, but also to grow their revenue. Jelly Smack generated $100,000 in incremental revenue for two-thirds of its creators last year. And that's why Jelly Smack is trusted by the biggest creators on the platform, like Mr. Beast and PewDiePie. But they work with creators of all sizes, like YouTubers Charles and Alyssa, who gained over 7.4 million Facebook followers in just six months and made over six figures from Facebook. So if you're a creator who's spending a lot of your time making videos for YouTube, Jelly Smack will edit them for different platforms like Snapchat and Facebook and help you earn revenue from those platforms. And the amazing thing is that those new audiences on Snap and Facebook are just that, new audiences, and they can end up going over to YouTube and subscribing to you there. And that's what Jelly Smack has found in a lot of their case studies. I mean, we've said multiple times on this show that the strategy is to have one main piece of content that goes on YouTube and then cut it up into little bits for other social platforms. But we don't do that half as much as we say. We don't we, even do it 10% as much as no. we say. We give the advice, but we don't do it because we don't have the bandwidth to do it. We don't have the bandwidth, we don't have the time, and that's exactly why now we are working with Jelly Smack so that they can help us distribute our content across all these different platforms. Now, not only do they have a full staff of editors, but they showed us some of their technology that they use to edit. It is wild. It's incredible to see that they may post 20 different versions of one single video to find out which one works the best on that platform. They'll do different types of thumbnails and they'll actually boost your content across those platforms to see what's working. As a creator, when you partner with Jelly Smack, they take on all of the financial risk so you can just focus on creating. If you're a creator with a big library of content, you might be a perfect fit for Jelly Smack. So head over to jellysmack.com, click get in touch, and then tell them that Colin and Samir sent you.
and connect with their team. They're all really awesome people. We've chatted with them a ton. They actually started out as creators themselves. They grew audiences and that's how they became experts in the space. And we're going to be partnering with them on multiple projects this year, one of which is The Breakdown. We've seen a lot of comments. People are asking for us to bring back our Breakdown video essay style series. And we will be doing that soon with Jelly Smack, which is really exciting. All right. So make sure to like this video, subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. And now for our interview with Ryan Trahan. You're coming off of, I think, what is the biggest series you've ever done? Is that correct? This Penny series? Yeah, I I, don't, I can't believe it. I, I'm f- frankly just baffled. Every day I wake up, I'm like trying to pinch myself. Let's make sure this is like not a joke. But <laughs> yeah, it's it's been amazing. And I know the series did well. I did it about two years ago. So I was super excited about it. But I really didn't have expectations. And th- this is just like completely blown everything out of the water that I could have <laughs> imagined. Could you talk about what the series is and the impetus for it. I know you said you've done it before on your Mm -hmm. channel. Why bring it back now? This version of the penny challenge is essentially surviving on only a penny. And I think sort of the idea is, what would you do if you woke up in a random town with literally nothing but a penny? How would you survive for a week? There really is like sort of a interesting aspect of not necessarily relatability, but almost like, whoa, like this is kind of like, make or break for for this guy. And I think that's really fun to watch, especially since, you know, it's not really like reality. I think that there's this emphasis of, I almost have nothing really to lose. So I can go up and be stupid, go talk to people. And there's no real implication of, you know, like my real life. So it's it's very strange. But regarding the idea itself and sort of like how we got here, when I was in high school, I was getting ready to go to college and I sort of had the option. I was like, am I going to get a summer job? Or should I try to like make some money in some creative way? And at the time, I was super into like Gary Vaynerchuk. I was super into like watching Shark Tank and all that fun stuff. And so I got super fired up just about like, I need to like be an entrepreneur or something. I need to like do something this summer beyond just like going to work at the water park again. So what kind of stemmed from that is like, I'm going to start a YouTube channel and I'm going to try to document something. So what would happen if this summer I started from scratch? And tried to turn that into a significant amount of money, like almost equal to the amount I'd be making at a job. It's not like a new idea. You know, like I think like Drake's Drake said zero to a hundred. I don't think that was really his, his, his initial <laughs> idea either. Um, and then also like the idea of like trading a paperclip to a house. I think it happened already. Ever since then, it's been really, really fun. It's kind of been a big aspect of my channel. I was so impressed by every single episode was just crushing. And like <laughs> you were on the trending tab multiple times. Uh, you mm-hmm. were number one on trending with this series Gosh, at one yeah. point. You were also raising money throughout the series. So what were some of the highlights of producing this series for you? The response from the community, I think that's been the most exciting aspect. I think this was the first series that I kind of accepted. I was like, I'm going to go out there and just be myself. I'm not going to worry about getting crazy shots like I've seen other creators do. I'm not going to worry about over planning like I've seen other creators do. And I decided like, let's just make like, let's try to make like a Ryan Trahan, like whatever is most unique to me video series. And so obviously like with, with the viewership comes validity. And while views aren't everything, I think that it's really just reassured that be, me being myself can provide the, the progress for the goals that I want. And so that's been a huge highlight beyond just like the the crazy, like the number one trending has been a dream of mine forever. And just like all of the numerical awesomeness, <laughs> it's really just been that validity in the community that's that seems to be rallying behind it. And so it's been really great. One of my favorite parts uh, was how stripped down it is and the fact that 
you know, you would film yourself riding away on your bike and then you would always <laughs> yeah. include the moments when you had to come back and get the camera and there would be yeah. text on the screen that's like, oh, I hate coming back to get the camera. It's like <laughs> right. so relatable. And that even though the idea is so grand, it's inspiring to me that it's capable of being captured and covered with, you know, an easy, minimal production setup. Yeah, that's super cool. I think also just like during this time where we've lacked a lot of connection, like watching you sell the sodas, I think that was episode two or three and having that group of kids invite you to the quinceanera was like <laughs> one of the most authentic moments to watch. And I think, as you mentioned, like the world of YouTube is starting to get very, very much. There's a lot of emphasis on the ideas and mm -hmm. a lot of times there, there's a lot of production that goes into it because it's high risk. Like you have to make it happen. You have to get 10 million views on this video, but the way you did it was so chill and relaxed and authentic. And, and there was these like real moments that I felt like the idea was, was really good. There's a lot of emphasis on the idea. The titles and thumbnails were excellent. The transformation from the beginning of the series to the end of the series was super interesting. And there was tension in every single episode, but the actual production of it was just like, we're hanging out <laughs> with Ryan. And I think yeah. that's what made it, you know, really special. In my it was eyes. just like fun and kind. I feel like kind mm -hmm. was a word that kept coming up as I was watching it. A lot of times, wow with uh, idea-based series, there can be like a hint of negativity or a hint of mm -hmm. stakes that are like a little bit too real, like somewhat right. frightening. <laughs> and I think with yours, it was just so nice that you're like, you're just, you're just telling jokes and seeing if someone will pay you a dollar for a good joke. That's something that I really wanted to make sure of because I think it's very easy to interact with people at their own, ex at their expense, you know, especially whenever we're doing videos and like sort of I, I always want to be the person in the uncomfortable situation, which is why I'm so glad with all of like the, the ways that I try to make money. It really didn't sort of make anyone else look bad. It didn't make like whenever we were filming, I made sure to tell Logan, my, my videographer, like, Hey, don't, we don't need to have like headphones on. You don't need to like get, don't worry too much about the quality. Don't worry about the shot. I want you to like literally hold the camera like this and look at the people that we're talking to and smile and like just have a good time. Because I think that it's very intimidating for other people to like see the setup and it almost looks like a prank if you approach someone yeah. mm -hmm. and it, like there's just this aura of like this is you're gonna do something you, your reaction is what we're looking for. And so we really tried to make sure that this was like a kind hearted effort. And I think that literally you can you can watch how many people laughed and like had a good time and I really made so many great friends. Um, through this series, just like literally strangers. So it was, it was a really fun time. I'm glad to hear that. I think some of my favorite moments are when you told a joke and there would just be <laughs> silence and the person that you were telling the joke to would just go, okay. <laughs> and then you so go, funny. all right, see you later. Have a good day. Yeah. <laughs> you guys want to hear two short jokes and a long joke? Sure. sure. All right. Joke, joke, joke. Okay. Um, you too. <laughs> it was like the funniest thing because I think a lot of people after after they left, like they realized what happened. I would hear laughter behind me and they realized like, what was that? Because I'm approaching these people as like, I'm trying to be a comedian. And I told a lot of people, I'm like, yeah, I'm trying to make like a Netflix, uh, like a comedy show. I'm trying to strive <laughs> for that. And so they had high expectations and then the jokes were just like terrible dad jokes. So it was so fun. Epic cool. moment for me is when you finally get a hotel room. Oh, and then it's a win for you. We're all excited. And then you give the audience another day in the same episode. Oh, like, yeah. And in this episode, you're going to get two days. Seen a day four. I actually have a surprise for you. Day five is in this video, too. Yeah.
Dude, I love that. I, I love that you say that. That was definitely the goal with it. I, I knew that that was going to be a huge breakthrough in the series. If we're able to, like, what if we actually get, like, a freaking hotel? And it was really such a such a such an amazing day. Because it doesn't really, I don't illustrate it in the series, but it was a very challenging week for me. Just, like, it was very tough. And I, I don't want to ever try to paint myself as a hero, especially when this is like a, a game for me, like a series. And a lot of people don't know where their next meal is coming from or their shelter is actually coming from. And so it's super important to me to like continue being optimistic throughout. But man, that motel was so, oh, there, I was like genuinely, so, I don't know how, the last time I've been that happy. It was, it was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> how much did you raise, um, uh, through, through those, those videos? So far we've raised $30,000, which is about 120,000 meals. And I'm going to wow. be doing a Minecraft charity stream in two days. And I think that we're going to raise a lot of money on that. Like maybe more. That's cool. Like the goal is a hundred thousand total. So 70,000 additional. And if we hit that, I'm going to get a tattoo of a penny. It'll be my first tattoo. Oh, nice. That's <laughs> yeah. so cool. It's going to be fun. So I wanted to, uh, to take a, a bunch of steps back. Cause when I think about you okay. as an entrepreneur and as a creator, I mentioned in the beginning of the episode, but you, you've lived a lot of different lives. Uh, and mm-hmm. you, you also, from my understanding, you, you have this like compulsion to create things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's always what makes a really successful YouTube creator. It's not always the person who grew up, you know, obsessed with video editing or, or, or filmmaking. It's actually just someone who had an entrepreneurial spirit who was building things. So I want to zoom back to you as a, as a, as a young kid, what was like the first thing you built or like your first, I guess, venture into, uh, being a creator, as I'll say, like creating something that other people could use online. Oh man, we're reflecting. Um, (laughs) I would say if I could really like identify sort of my past and my childhood growing up, the pattern that I noticed the most is that I would kind of pick something and make it my identity and try to become more of a perfectionist at it and try to strive for excellence in that. But I grew up and I was like, my brother played trumpet in high school. So when I got to like sixth grade, I was like, I'm gonna play trumpet. And (laughs) I picked it up and like, I would literally go home and practice every night. And I was first chair and it was like super cool. And I got really good. And then uh, freshman year of high school came around and I feel like I couldn't see a future with playing trumpet. I could, I couldn't see like, all right, is this going to be my thing actually? Or did I just sort of hang on to this in the meantime? And I realized it really wasn't going to be my thing. And so in high school, I picked up running and I was not good. Like, I think that's very important to realize. Like, I, I didn't necessarily have a clear route when it comes to being a successful trumpeteer <laughs> or a runner, but I picked it up because I saw potential in it. I was very passionate and excited about it. And so I started running. Freshman year of high school, I had like an eight minute mile and then uh, I kind of made it a goal of mine to, to win state, like the state of Texas in track and cross country. And we ended up getting super close. Like senior year, I ran a 415 mile and I got second place in cross country and track in the state of Texas. And it was like this super exciting feat because I poured so much into it. And then I went to college, Texas A&M, and I was running cross country and track. And then three months in, I had another question. And I was like, is this going to be my thing? And at the time I was doing YouTube, I had started a YouTube channel that summer, which is when I did the penny challenge. And it's also whenever I started making kind of running content. And I had about 20,000 subscribers at the time, making like a couple hundred bucks from AdSense. And that's when I dropped out. I was like, YouTube's my thing. 
And so that's kind of where I'm at right now. I feel like YouTube is a huge aspect of my identity. And so I just want to strive for excellence. And the difference between trumpeteering and, and uh, running when it comes to YouTube is that YouTube is a creative endeavor. It's not so much an objective endeavor where it's like, all right, I can run five miles a day and I'll progressively get better. I'll get faster and I'll improve. YouTube's a very subjective and creative world. And I realize that striving doesn't necessarily uh, sort of produce the same sorts of fruits <laughs> that, you know, the striving in other fields can. So that's kind of what I've been fighting with the past few years. I think it's very evident on my channel that I have pivoted so many different directions and I'm kind of coming to terms with like what I want my future to look like with YouTube. This is the first thing that I've really wanted to do long term. I'm kind of like, yes, this is what I want to do. From what I had learned about you, like you you tried to pick up coding when you were in ninth grade and yep. then you had some ventures in Amazon FBA and then the water bottle company. So kind of wanted to Dude, for yeah. you to take us through that entrepreneurial journey from when you were younger. Wow, you guys you guys are very well versed. I literally kind of had recessed memories about all those things. Um, <laughs> when I was, I lived in a very small town. Like no one in that town really talked about even YouTube or the internet. It was very much let's talk about cows and maybe rice, like carbon. <laughs> like literally, I went to Rice High School, <laughs> literally named after the grain. That's just the setting I grew up in. But I was always glued to my computer, and I was always like, I saw that as a source of freedom. Like this is going to be my path to my future. If I just sit down at the computer, watch YouTube, learn, I would come in after school and I would just watch and I would just consume. And when I was about 14, I really started getting ambitious and passionate. And yeah, I started learning about coding. And when I, I say that kind of lightly, because I didn't get that far, <laughs> I like kind of knew how to do a few things, but ultimately I realized like this would be a long-term thing. So I tried to start this business when I was 14 called Stream Chat. And at the time, I don't even, I'm sure Twitch was a thing, but I didn't, it was not like a big thing. And so I sort of envisioned this, this, uh, this website or app that would allow you to watch, uh, live shows and communicate with different rooms and communicate with, whether it's like your friend group or maybe it's like a bunch of random people. You can kind of like talk to each other as you watch the show. And I really tried to pursue that for about four to six months, like while going to school and stuff. And ultimately I realized, yeah, this is probably going to cost. <laughs> more money than I will ever have. And it's probably not going to be accomplished by just me. And so that's when I kind of started peeling the layers back and like realizing what, what can I do at 14, 15 years old? And ultimately that kind of led to me a few years later starting my, my first business, which was super exciting. And I started a water bottle company similar to that of like Yetis or Hydroflask sort of. And it was called Neptune. Neptune project. And I started with my friend in high school and we were just like super stoked because we, we had always been talking about like, Oh, one day we're going to start a business. His name's Caden. He's such a great guy. And that's what we did. Senior year, I started this water bottle company and we're like selling these water bottles at school, 20 bucks a pop. And we're like, I felt like we were selling drugs. I'm, I'm going to be completely honest because we would go to our <laughs> lockers like between classes and everyone would come up to us with money and we'd just be like looking around at teachers, like, are the teachers watching? And then we would sell them like these water bottles. And then all of a sudden the whole school's got them. And it's so crazy. And it was just like a wildfire of commerce. <laughs> and ultimately we did have like 800 bottles out of the thousand remaining. My school is very small. Um, and that's when we started knocking door to door. And we, we ended up selling maybe a hundred, 
bottles that summer. But the craziest thing, the coolest thing of all is that's why I started my YouTube channel. I wanted to reach more people to sell these bottles because we had an absurd amount left over. <laughs> and so I started posting running videos and like, oh, get your Neptune bottles. Uh, they'll help you with hydration. And they really were great bottles. And so I really am grateful for that period of my life because it brought me to what ultimately became my, my passion and focus, which is YouTube. Like I've started a few businesses in my time on YouTube, but I've ultimately come back to the fact that I can't pour into those the amount that I want. Like I really, like I am so passionate about the things that I love. And when it comes to those companies, like I, I need to be able to give a hundred percent of my time to those. I, I'm just not the type of person that like wants to outsource a management company to build it for me. I just feel like I want to be in house and like, I don't know. Every day I just want to show up and focus on that. And I realize I can't, I can't have my heart in that and YouTube at the same time. And YouTube's just so much more like obviously the route that I need to take. So that's kind of where I'm at right now in terms of my entrepreneurship and just like passion for that stuff. It's still very real, but YouTube in itself is, is a endeavor that like is financially good. So I've just been focusing on that with time. So you took to YouTube to market the water bottles. Mm -hmm. At what point do you shift your content and go into something like the Penny series? It was a weird thing because... Wow. I'm just now realizing this whole identity crisis has been a thing for a long time. <laughs> but in that same <laughs> summer I was making running content is when I posted the first Penny to $1,000 series. Um, and so, I don't know. I mean, I'd always... like I'm so fascinated by people like you guys... Like, I want to know, do you guys ever have these identity crises? Because obviously your content's so consistent. You have a very clear theme. But like, do you guys ever wonder, like, what if I did this or this? Or like, is Colin and Samir something different? So, Ryan, we, we are we are 10 years older than you. So we've been through many existential <laughs> yeah. crises. Okay. Yeah, we've, we've had a lot of existential crises. Um, Good. Many of them documented. Yeah, a lot of On various YouTube channels. We, we've also lived... Or podcasts. A, we've also lived a few different lives on YouTube. So I would say that like... To be on YouTube means to be constantly evolving and, mm-hmm. and changing, right? If you're not evolving, then like something's something's off um, mm-hmm. as a, as a creator on YouTube. And so I think this most recent evolution is the point where we've settled into our identities the most. Mm-hmm. I think if you look through our library or if you've been watching our different you know channels for the past ten years, and you've probably seen a lot of different iterations of us. But I would say that right now I feel the most settled into my identity of like who who I am, who I want to be communicating with and then what that content is that helps me communicate to those people and transform them. And I think that's a really good feeling. I think it's it's made us feel really settled to be like, okay, we're th- this is who we are. You know, mm-hmm. there might be new iterations of this content, but the audience that we want to speak to uh, and the value prop we want to provide, I think we've we're, we're really clear on that. It's mm-hmm. similar to what you talked about with having that realization around your community mm-hmm. and finally realizing right. that like that speaking to that community is far more important than thinking about metrics all the time, right? That like when you have that sense of purpose around who you're talking to, then you can relax a little bit and like ease into that and appreciate the connection that you have with that community. That's so great. I love that. I I definitely strive for like, oh, I'm trying not to strive actually. I'm I'm definitely trying to lean into (laughs) what you guys are, what you've accomplished with that. And that's so great to hear that you've really just enjoyed settling into that. And just as a subscriber and viewer, like, I, I'm so glad that you guys will post things like, um, I don't know, just like the types of content you post, you can tell you're trying to serve your audience. You're literally not trying to strive for, uh, like, ne- uh, not necessarily new viewership. Like, I'm going to serve the audience I have because right. 
Oh man, it's just so great because I've learned so much from y'all's channel and just looking through it right now, I think you guys have really developed a great relationship with the audience. And I, I feel like I know you guys before this call, which has been super great. So that's what I want to accomplish with my community as well. Well, you mentioned something about authenticity and like how you realize that there's like a, there's an opportunity for you to be your most authentic self and for that to, to be the brand. And I think um, that's what we realized with our format of when mm-hmm. we turned this into more of like a talk show, we actually got to be our most authentic selves. <laughs> we, yeah. we couldn't do that when we were vlogging or making other styles of content. It just wasn't mm-hmm. natural for us to be our most authentic selves. Wow. But ever since we've changed it to this format, it's like we actually are just sitting and having a conversation that now I think allows Whoa. us to, to break down that wall and be like, yeah, th- this is literally, if you were sitting right here and you're watching this video, it would be the same situation, right? This you're is getting how, the real us. You're getting the real right. us. Right. Like, this is how we talk. This is what we're interested in. Wow. Yeah. That's super interesting to think that the medium can sometimes prevent you from being your full self. That's so wild. Yeah. I mean, I think like even knowing that you have the power to edit and, you know, drive suspense in certain areas or make yourself funnier than you are, uh, <laughs> you know, like there's so many different ways to do it in lifestyle content yeah. that I think even that causes some identity crises in mm-hmm. themselves when you're filming yourself and then sitting and editing yourself. Right. You're literally like being like, who am I to these people? Right. Am I, am I presenting myself in the right light? And then that contrasts and maybe juxtaposes at times with who you are just as a dude, you know, and, and I think that's, <laughs> yeah. that can be challenging. I, I thought about that a lot recently that even the trade of editing is caring what people think. Right. Right. With every cut. Wow. It's saying, how is someone going to receive this? And when you're the person in the timeline, <laughs> That can, that can be very difficult, like on your mental health, wow. to consistently yeah. be self-editing, thinking about how so many random people will perceive it. That is fascinating. What a world we live in. What a what a thing we yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's so crazy. <laughs> so I do want to I, I want to dig into that time because you have a very fascinating story. Like you're selling these water bottles, but you also get recruited and go D one. Uh, mm-hmm. You become a Division one athlete. In, in running, correct? Is it in mm-hmm. track and field, cross country? What what exactly was it in? Yeah, I was tracking cross country, like long distance stuff, basically. So that's obviously something that's very interesting to us. We used to work in sports and there was a few different instances of college athletes having YouTube channels and being mm-hmm. at odds with the NCAA. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm curious, like it's something that you documented pretty well on your channel. What was that experience like of of going to college and then you know, being a YouTube creator and also having this water bottle company. Well, going D1 sounds so cool, but when you're not like a football player, it's I feel like it's not as, as cool as it sounds. But <laughs> honestly, it was such a crazy time for me because like I was finally starting to make some money on YouTube. Like I was, I was financially independent at this point. So I had enough, I was making enough on YouTube and Neptune to pay my rent. And I went to College Station, like College Station, Texas is where Texas A&M is. And rent was super cheap and I had enough to pay for groceries and rent. And I was super excited. Like, wow, I'm really kind of making some money on this thing. And then I sort of get a, I get a call from the NCAA advisor at Texas A&M and they find out about the bottles and they find out about the YouTube channel, the fact that I'm making money, or maybe they just couldn't ignore it any longer. And they reach out and kind of give me this ultimatum where essentially they tell me you can't use your name, image, and likeness and be on the Texas A&M team and continue making money on your YouTube channel and and bottle thing. So they gave me so many options. They were like, all right, well, uh, 
maybe you just never post about Texas A&M on your social media ever, and you can't talk about running, and you also can't talk about the fact that you your life is the way that it is, and then it would be fine. <laughs> and ultimately, that's like insane because the whole thing that my channel is valuable for is the running content and the fact that I am like a college age guy that uh, went D one and like was able to to start a business as well. And so they essentially asked me to bring my personality and, and identity online down to a college kid that doesn't do anything, <laughs> like literally just a college, like a normal college kid, which honestly, that that's a cool channel, I think, but I didn't have mm-hmm. time to create this alter identity. Like in reality, I was waking up at 5 a.m. to go to practice, then I would come home for a bit, work on Neptune for a little bit, and then I would go to class and then I would go to practice again. Like that's, that was my life. And so I, I realized like it really was between, uh, am I gonna, am I gonna continue running or am I going to do YouTube? And ultimately what I decided is <laughs> not only am I not going to run anymore, I also am going to drop out of college to pursue YouTube. How many subscribers did you have at that point? When I dropped out of college, I had 20,000 subscribers and this sounds so cocky, but I posted a video that says I have to drop out of college. And in the video, I literally looked like a tiny little kid. And I say, yes, I may be dropping out, but you can't judge me until the summer of 2021 when my peers are graduating college. To the people saying I'm making a mistake, fair enough. But you can't judge me until the summer of 2021 when my peers are graduating college. And I have a feeling, I have a very strong feeling that good things are going to be happening a lot sooner than that. And this is summer 2021 right now. One of my friends just sent me that video again. He's like, go look at this timestamp. And I was just like, wow, things really found a way to work out. I I would never recommend even myself in retrospect to drop out with 20,000 subscribers. But I had had so much self-belief. It was kind of wild. Yeah, I would never recommend anyone. Yeah, I don't think uh, I would recommend that. To go full-time at 20,000 subscribers. It sounds awful. That early period of taking that jump, what did it look like? Uh, what type of content were you making? Were you mm-hmm. under a lot of stress? When I dropped out, I, I think that I, I thought I could handle college because I was high school valedictorian. Like I, I loved high school. I loved learning. And I thought college was going to be easier. But I just have a huge respect for everyone with a college degree now because those classes were like so difficult. And the schedule was so rigorous. And I was just like completely baffled at how difficult these things were. And I, I was very poor at managing that stress and just the amount that I was doing. And on top of running on YouTube, I was like, wow, this is like, I don't know how long I could do this. And I always, I always thought I was a guy who could like <laughs> persevere and like work hard and whatever. And I just, I couldn't. So three months in, I, I was officially burned out. And I mean, probably the most stress I've ever been in my life. And I decided, you know what? I'm making enough to pay rent. I'm making enough to buy groceries. Let's see what happens. Like I I know if I can up my posting schedule, I can make X amount more because of my awesome community. The running community is so loyal, by the way. If you guys ever want to start running, make a channel. They will love you. (laughs) They will literally love you so much. Um, And so, yeah, I did it. And I didn't know what the path was to longevity, but I really did see this being my route, whether it was, you know, I kind of saw it as a four-year like, let's take a chance for four years, just like I said in the video. And that's what we did. I, I realized that uh, I kind of kept growing. 
I kind of kept growing from that 20,000 mark. And I, then I made a video copying Emma Chamberlain's Instagram photos and she like reposted it and I gained like 10,000 subscribers. And I was like running up and down my apartment. I was like, yeah, let's go. So crazy. And then I kind of kept easing more into that like mainstream uh, social media culture type of content. And then eventually I got into the commentary world being inspired by people like Cody Ko and kind of just like, I started doing that stuff and that really just took off. And then it, I remember the the moment I hit a hundred thousand subscribers, I was like driving through college station. I was playing like some post Malone song and I was like, wow, this is crazy. <laughs> like literally <laughs> this, it just happened. Oh, let's go. Oh my God. <laughs> and I mean, I'm just so, so grateful for the journey that, has occurred and I'm just so excited for the future and being able to meet people like you guys and talk to you about it's so fun. Looking at your channel, that first video that really took off was the video about Lauren Gray. <laughs> yep, I that's mean, right. If you look at the content around it, like <laughs> nothing was even close in viewership. Like that did over 9 million views. Yeah, that was very crazy. Yeah, what was that experience like and how did you, you know, think about that style of content? Man, I got to tell you guys, I I'm very not easily inspired by people, but when I am inspired by people, I just, I, I obsess over it. And I'm like, I, I just get so motivated by some people's uh, sort of like thing, you know? And so in college, my friend showed me Cody Ko and we were so obsessed. We'd like watch him every night and we would just like die laughing and we're like, these guys are the funniest dudes ever. And so I was trying to figure out a way like, wow, it'd be so cool if I can do this because as much as I love the running community, it is just inherently capped. Like the, the biggest running YouTuber at the time, he was getting like 10,000 views a video and he had like a hundred thousand subscribers, which is awesome. Like he was a literal marathoner professionally. And so super cool. He was able to document that, but I figured if I really wanted to try to make YouTube my thing and sort of strive for that excellence, I really had to figure out a bigger niche. And so I, I tried commentary within the, the running sphere, <laughs> which was very funny. Uh, like two <laughs> videos before the Lauren Gray video is this video called Jacob Ingebrigtsen is out of control. And he's like a Norwegian <laughs> miler. Wow. He runs the mile and he's like a great athlete. Good. But then I just like try to clown on his Instagram and like social media um, and so, yeah, people liked it. And then two videos later, I tried this Lauren Gray video, which is completely broad and like not serving my community. And it just like blew up. And that, that moment, I mean, the next two or three weeks were crazy because I had gained like 300,000 subscribers. And then I went to VidCon and there were people like, uh, like the guys from Smosh were like, Hey, I saw your video. I was like, what? I've been watching you forever. Like, this is crazy. And it really just kind of propelled me into everything I could ever dream of. So subscriber wise, where did commentary take your channel? That is, that is crazy. It went from about, I would say 30,000 subscribers to gotta be 1.5 million or so. It wow. was crazy. Oh and that was That's very crazy. Fast. <laughs> I know. It, I feel so lucky. So that was I, in a span of how many months? Like how long? Okay. So this is cool. I, I need to put this in a book when I'm older, but <laughs> Basically, the day I dropped out with 20,000 subscribers, one year and a few days later is when I hit a million. And so that that growth rate was so crazy. You know, I, I literally uh, had dropped out. And then I remember I, I'd moved to Florida because I thought I got to get out of this town. I don't, I'm not in, I'm not texting <laughs> anymore. I'm a YouTuber. <laughs> and so I moved to Florida for a bit and I hit a million subscribers there probably, yeah, like 12 months later and 
kept running with commentary and yeah, it was just the craziest, craziest time of my life. Super, super wild. So I think one of the first videos that I watched from you that was like extremely creative was when you hid yourself in celebrity <laughs> or maybe it was the vice versa one. It was one of those. Yeah. But I'm just curious, like you seem to have this knack for coming up with ideas that are going to relate to people at scale. Mm. How do you come up with ideas? Like what's your formula for what makes a good idea What what and what doesn't make a good idea? Yeah, I want to be super transparent and say that like there, there's been times of my journey on YouTube where I thought I was like the smartest guy ever and like extremely wise. But I think that's ultimately shown me that I don't know as much as I thought I do because if I knew as much as I thought I did like last year, then every video would have 10 million views and like that pursuit would be completely validated. But whenever I think of, you know, videos that, that will do well, I love to brainstorm. I love to sit down and just think because I think it's super important to uh, be in tune with your with your own mind and really explore your creat- creativity because you guys have some ideas that I just won't have. You know, you guys have perspectives that I just won't have on certain subjects. And so I think that's your unique value proposition, which is why you guys are so successful at what you do. And for me, I feel like I just want to explore whatever's up here as much as possible. And while I do sort of have the parameters of like, okay, I want this to be broadly appealing so that, um, you know, like a broad community can kind of come on board. I also want to do something that my unique personality can thrive in. And there's been several times where I've not been loyal to that. Like I've tried to be Cody Co 2.0, Mr. Beast 2.0. Like I had a vlog era where I tried to do like Logan Paul 2.0, but I realized you're, you're only going to be a small fraction of what they are. You're never going to be a hundred percent of yourself. And so I've kind of come to terms with that. And when it comes to ideas, I, I got a lot of like, I don't want to say data. That kind of makes it sound cooler than it is. But whenever this penny challenge thing went viral, the the recent one, I was looking at all the videos that were getting a bunch of views, like people watching the penny thing and then going to other rabbit holes on my channel. And there's like six rabbit holes that they could have gone down. But there was like a certain type of video that everyone enjoyed and everyone went to go binge, if you will. It was like the overnight in the world's cheapest hotel, overnight in the world's smallest Airbnb. And like these videos where I go do a thing but I kind of am just like vlogging and like being myself and hanging out with the viewer. And so I really found a lot of like liberation in that. I'm like, oh, I need to put myself in some cool, fun situations and not overdo it. Like, let's just go do something very simple and hang out with the viewer. And so that's kind of where I'm at. Like I, I got so much information from this awesome series, like doing so well. And now I know like moving forward, like, okay, I, I've got a little, I've got a community here. I need to, I need to go serve them now. <laughs> That's a really liberating experience. I know mm-hmm. for us, as we were trying different formats and as we were trying to grow, we would cut out all of our personality moments. There was Ugh. a specific time when we would try and like minimize as much as possible the, the laughter between each other, like going out on a limb to you know tell a joke, which I would do mm-hmm. often and I feel like it didn't land. But like there's something about like keeping those moments in that being authentic and vulnerable that people can like connect to that we were so nervous about. Because mm-hmm. we were like, we just need to be providing like the video essay value of exactly <laughs> what we told you we were going to do in the thumbnail. And then as we were uh, with this format we have now, it's so much more liberating to just leave stuff in and get to yep. like be ourselves and let like relax into letting people enjoy just spending time with us. Mm-hmm. I think with that said, though, I think we still feel somewhat restricted by titles and thumbnails. That's mm-hmm. for sure. And yeah. I think yeah. that's really hard, right? Because there's so much that we want to talk about. Um 
and we are passionate about. But if we can't figure out a thumbnail for it, it's almost like this weird space where you're like, well, then I guess we shouldn't even make it because if it has a bad thumbnail, it's not going to work. So I'm curious for you, like, what are some of those X factors Mm. for videos that push close to 10 million views Mm. compared to videos that are, you know, under a million? Do you have any sense of when you know for a fact? Because one of the things that Colin and I talked about with your Penny series, episode one had like a absolutely phenomenal thumbnail. Like that (laughs) thumbnail was like striking when it, when it came across our feed, it was both of us were like, yo, did you see this thumbnail? Like (laughs) I screenshot some of my favorite thumbnails as inspo and I screenshot yours and showed it to Samir. I was like, look at this. Yeah. (laughs) It's possible. We'll just use that as the thumbnail for this because that thumbnail was so good. Wow. (laughs) Heck yeah. Please do. Um, if man (laughs) X factors, I, well, first of all, Colin, I definitely agree. Just as a viewer of y'all's channel, just seeing you guys incorporate more of your personality has just been so exciting to watch because it just makes it feel it it, it is more digestible which is the ironic thing because we think cutting things out makes it more digestible but that's a very like stressful uh point for the viewer to be like just sustainably experiencing that for a long period of time like a very high energy viewer viewership experience whereas like the very chill like that's what i love about the the penny series i feel like you can throw it on the tv and you're like you don't care if you miss a little bit but it, it is fun to watch. It's a very fun experience. So I definitely love that with y'all's channel. That's such a different way of thinking uh, on YouTube. I feel like a mm-hmm. lot of people now are thinking so much about retention and being mm-hmm. like every frame has to you know matter. But I, I actually personally like that, which is why like mm-hmm. for me, watching vlogs on YouTube was so fun. Like yeah. in the kind of Casey Neistat era, like I would watch the guy do anything. <laughs> and I think, you know, Colin and I described two types of creators. Um, one being idea-based, someone like Mr. Mm-hmm. Beast, who's like going to swim with sharks or, or drop snakes. I don't know, do something you know wild <laughs> that is, that's based on the idea and the title and the thumbnail. And then you have someone like Emma Chamberlain, who's like a pure relationship-based creator mm-hmm. where you could hang out with Emma drinking coffee for 25 minutes and it's just there because of the relationship. And it almost feels like you're a hybrid of both mm. where you pull people in with the idea and then you they stay because of the relationship with you. Mm. And I think that's actually one of the most interesting spaces to be in on YouTube right now, where it's still a com- it's an idea competition when it comes to titles and thumbnails mm-hmm. on the platform. But if you can get people in the door and then they like hanging out with you, you can probably sustain them video to video, no matter what you make. Yeah. Wow. No, that's a, that's a huge compliment. I love Mr. Beast and Emma Chamberlain. I've, I've honestly been watching Emma Chamberlain recently. She's, <laughs> her vlogs are so chill and I, I really She's do so enjoy it. She's so great. But yeah, I think that is definitely the dream because I do love the artistic side of like thumbnails. I, I love the idea of like, how can I convey this idea the best? And I sort of look at it as a challenge, but I think the trap that we can fall into is almost optimizing too much. And when it comes to thumbnails, something I've even kind of like my new thesis is that for me, I do want to have a relationship with my audience and I couldn't imagine, I don't know if she does, but I couldn't imagine Emma Chamberlain changing the thumbnail and title if, if a video underperforms. And I think that there's right. some mm-hmm. very interesting subconscious uh, intention with that because the whole point of her channel is not to be optimized. It's to maintain a community and maintain a relationship. And I would almost feel like sad if I feel like she was trying to appeal to people beyond me. And so I've kind of vowed, like I'm going to try to make the thumbnails best as I can, but I'm going to, I'm not going to change titles and thumbnails anymore because I feel like that is me telling my community, you guys aren't enough for me. And I, I'm trying wow. to appeal to other people. And so 
it, it's very subconscious and subtle, but I really just want to simplify things and, and kind of create a, a, a safer, happier environment for my audience to kind of thrive in and not think I'm trying to grow beyond them. So interesting. Super, super yeah, cool. It's almost like care, care about the people who are watching, not the people who aren't watching. Right. And regarding the, the idea of like the 10 million viewership number, yeah. and that X factor, I wish I could predict <laughs> the reasons these things happen. Uh, but I definitely have noticed the pattern in terms of like, oh, the videos where I, I survived or overnight in or, you know, kind of those more broadly appealing ideas. As long as I can kind of do those fun things and try to just be myself in that situation and almost vlog, I think that's kind of my recipe that YouTube's kind of given me to, on a silver platter to pursue. <laughs> so, and that's what I'm most excited about too, where I feel like the, the most community and like most, the best relationship with my audience. So I'm super excited about that. How do you think about investments into your content, um, specifically with the Tesla and then any other, you know, investments uh, on the horizon when it comes to content? The Tesla, oh my gosh. So this this car was like my dream car and I was super excited about it. Such a fanboy of Tesla. And I had all these ideas on my little video ideas uh, list, my Google Doc of ideas. And like so many of them were Tesla ideas. Like, oh, Autopilot's such a crazy feature. Like there's so many crazy things you can do with this car. And I feel like, how has no one made Tesla Autopilot for 24 hours or like something like very simple, just using the the core elements of this car. Like there's a summoning feature. Like what if you sent an empty Tesla through a drive-through? <laughs> like there's so many cool things you can do with this. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to try to lease this thing and we'll see if it pays off. And so that's what I did. I, I have a three-year lease on my car and it's I love it so much. It's probably past the point of justifying the amount of money per month, but it, it was so cool. Like I, I got to make Tesla autopilot for 24 hours straight and that video definitely paid for the Tesla in then some, you know, like it, it was Amazing. super mm. successful. And the thing is, I do think there was an element of luck to that. Like I, I was very confident in the ideas and I got the Mr. B seal of approval. He was like, if you do that video, it's going to be your first one to hit 10 million. And he's like prophetic, I guess, with the YouTube algorithm because he was right. <laughs> um, and so that was super crazy. And yeah, it, that was really successful. And then I did uh, sending empty Tesla autopilot through the drive through Such a fun video. And collectively, those have like 26 million views together or something. And so definitely was successful and paid for you know the, the Tesla itself. However, I'm not confident... <laughs> that I can continue like sort of betting on like these investments to, to pay off to this extent. And I don't know, like I have some ideas that would cost a lot of money, but I've kind of come to terms with like, I'm confident in my ability to make videos that don't cost a lot of money. Like how can I go that direction? Which is why I also love the penny challenge because it kind of leans into the advantage that we have that Mr. Beast doesn't like is he's amazing. Like I love Mr. Beast, but he's kind of in this uh creative space where I'm trying to top myself financially. But what if I, mm. what if I try to do the opposite? <laughs> What's the, what can I do with minimalism? What can I do in, in the opposite direction where like I actually uh, sort of refrain from any sort of financial abundance? And like, what if I really just try to start from nothing? <laughs> and so that's kind of the, another aspect of the pity challenge. But ultimately what I'm saying is, I, I'm really moving forward trying to lean into not spending as much money and not making that a crutch of mine that I have to depend on because I don't think it's relatable. I don't think it's like as exciting to watch as we may think uh, or as we give it credit to. And kind of to your point about like Emma Chamberlain, like she's so great. 
I, I don't care if she spends a lot of money on something to watch her do her thing, you know? And so I, I really do appreciate that about her. And I'd love to try to achieve that for myself as well. I think additionally with the penny challenge, it's like, it's something everyone can do. Right. And so I think that's really cool. And you can imagine yourself in that situation. Like as I'm watching that series, I'm like, well, how, how would I do this? <laughs> like, what's my version of this? Because right. it, it's so actually attainable to do what you did. So mm-hmm. I think that's really cool that it, it broadens and allows for every viewer to to think about like, oh, I could right. do that too. Not every viewer can buy a Tesla, but right. every viewer can think about what it's like to start with one penny and and, and live a week or, or build it up to a thousand bucks. Did you have a sense when you left college of what like monetary success meant to you on YouTube? Mm. And at what point did you hit that? Wow. I would say that the idea of monetary success to me, I, I kind of say it in that dropout video, but I was shooting for an economics degree and that would hopefully provide a salary of like 45K out of college where I lived. And to me, if I could reach that, I would say I made it, especially because this is something that I love to do. And I love the idea of an economics job as well. Like that seems super fun, but I I just feel like this is a lifestyle that is just completely like a dream and a huge privilege. And so when I reached that, I, I don't know when I reached it. It must have been... Um, maybe like a year after I dropped out and I was like, wow, this is like how much I'd be making if I, <laughs> you know, got that job that I was thinking about getting after college. And so that that was my idea of monetary success. And ultimately I had these dreams of like, one day I want to build my dad a house. And, you know, I had these like huge unrealistic things where I like, I don't know how we'll get there. Like that amount of money would be crazy cool. But yeah, it's just like kind of beyond that has just been arbitrary in terms of uh, what I considered to make me happy, you know? I think that for a lot of my friends in college as well, like the difference between being like the angriest person in the room and the happiest person in the room was like 300 bucks in their checking account. And I've just always held that close to me. Like as long as we have enough to, you know, just like have the lifestyle that we want in terms of like, oh, we don't have, we don't have to worry about rent. We don't have to worry about groceries. Like that is like the bottom line for me where I'm like extremely happy. So Everything beyond that has just been, you know, obviously a huge blessing, but it, it really hasn't changed like uh, my gratitude for the job. I'd love to know, like, what does your family think about your career as a YouTube creator, especially in the beginning when you made that jump and then mm-hmm. now? So I actually, I don't know if I've said this online, but I have a super, super small family. Uh, it's basically just my dad, like my mom's not in my life. And so my, I have a brother as well. Uh, literally, my family is just my dad, my brother. And my dad has just been incredibly supportive. Like all these crazy endeavors, like trumpet in middle school running and now YouTube, he's just been my number one fan. And, um, man, it's just been a real, real blessing to have his support because out of everyone that criticized me when I was trying to drop out of college, granted, like the, I don't look at the criticism as like they're being mean. I've learned to realize like that's such an empathy that I didn't deserve at the time. (laughs) Like I didn't appreciate it as empathy, but uh, you know, my dad was supportive. He's like, I've seen you do it with running. I've seen you doing it with, with band, whatever. I've seen you do it with school. I believe in you. And having that from like the one person in my life that I feel like was my family, it was like the biggest, uh, just like, I don't know, breakthrough for me. So it's been great. My dad, like he'll watch every video and like, we don't really talk about it too much, but he'll, he'll text me and be like, haha, the jokes were so funny. And <laughs> I know he's watching our video and just like dying laughing. And so that means the world. And 
the biggest the biggest blessing like on my dream board i told you guys like i want to build my dad a house and i actually in three weeks he's going to be moving into his dream house that i was able to to build for him and we've kind of been documenting that series because ultimately like we like my family we don't come from too much and he hasn't owned anything in his life and i'm just like this is like the biggest dream come true uh just to be able to provide him this and it's like it, it's, it really is emotional. Like I've cried many times at the house, but it just represents so much, you know, the idea of stability just as a family, the idea like, oh, wow, we, we, we know that we're going to be okay. And like, this is a really fun time. So, um, yeah, my dad has just been amazing throughout this whole thing. That's wow. really great, man. That's that, awesome. That's so cool. What, uh, advice would you give to a, a startup YouTube creator right now? Who's trying to become the next Ryan Trahan? <laughs> Go watch Colin Samir. <laughs> <Just binge. laughs> no, I, I do think you guys are a great resource. Um, I would say the biggest, most exciting and, uh, life giving habit that I have is I talk to a couple YouTubers very consistently and they're some great friends of mine and we'll talk beyond just like, all right, what do you think about this thumbnail? What do you think about this title? We'll talk about like, how are you feeling emotionally about the idea of doing this for another five years or like, you, I noticed in this video, I don't know. I just feel like it's kind of different from your regular content. Like, how are you feeling? Okay. Like, how do you feel about this video? Can't do you guys, do you want some feedback about this? And I would say just having like those people to make you feel sane. Like this is such a, a weird, weird job. Albeit a huge blessing, but it is, it can make you feel kind of like I'm going nuts. <laughs> so having a community mm-hmm. of, of people that, you know, creators that are doing the same thing, and I don't, I, like I said before, I don't think subscriber count matters. Like I, I've learned more from people with less than 10,000 subscribers than, than some people that have like <laughs> over 10 million, you know? And I think it really just comes from, you know, having that friendship and that community brotherhood, <laughs> you know, moving forward. So that, that's been my biggest thing. Okay. So this is a question we ask a, a lot of different creators that we speak to. Okay. Imagine tomorrow, tomorrow, you no longer can create YouTube videos. Oh no. But you can leave one video up on your YouTube channel <laughs> that will stay there for the rest of time. Oh, man. Which YouTube video do you pick? Okay. Oh, man. That's a tough one. Okay. While I go find, while I go find mine, will you guys tell me what yours is? Have we ever answered this? I don't know if we've answered this, <laughs> I don't Ryan. I think we've answered this, right? <laughs> this is our show. Oh, man. <laughs> we asked the That's our question. <laughs> yeah, right? I would... Uh, I, I might say something kind of unconventional or, or something I haven't even thought about before, but I think it's... Um, when we when we left our last company and we first started thinking about doing YouTube, we wanted to start this skateboard company and we did and we used YouTube to to talk about the skateboard company that we started. And so I would probably leave episode 1 of that up because mm. for me it represents like what this partnership has been, which is just Colin and I sitting over a coffee and having an idea and then wow. you know, doing everything in our power to bring it to life. And I think uh, that's what this whole career has been. And that's what I want to do for the rest of my life. And I want to be known as mm. as that and remembered as just someone who um, was able to bring ideas to life, whether mine or, or someone else's. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. We always said wow. that like, YouTube was just an incubator for ideas. And like we were always interested in sort of the same with you, I think, with the water bottles is how do you use YouTube to build something greater or bigger? Oh, man. Yeah. And so... I think that series, episode one, I remember when we put it out, I was like, this is what I've always wanted to make. Mm-hmm. This is what I loved watching. <laughs> wow. This is the series yeah. I always wanted. Man, what a feeling. That's that's so awesome. 
I I wish I had like that breakthrough type of video where like, all right, we put everything into this. But if I'm being honest, I just scrolled down a bit and I remember there's this video. It's got like 50,000 views, I think, but it's called uh, Chase, no, 43,000 views three years ago. It's called Chase Your Dreams, Kids. And I think that's the moment I hit 50,000 subscribers. I was running a, a marathon in Eugene, Oregon, and I, I had a great time there. And Post Malone's album just came out, Beer Bongs and Bentley's. I was listening to it. We're driving <laughs> through the forest. It's so just euphoric. And I go sit down in this like rental car and I just talk to my audience and I go on this little like kind of rant. I'm like, it, it just a very emotional rant. And I feel like that, that is kind of the thesis for honestly, not, not only my YouTube career, but my life, like use your imagination to your benefit. I think we're all very gifted and like very <laughs> imaginative creatures that can make amazing things come to life. And so I, if I could embody anything in that, it'd be that video. I could have never imagined that I would be talking to 50,000 people. I come from a town with a population of like 3,000. One year ago, I had like less than 400 subscribers and I thought that was crazy to be honest with you. Thank you for believing in me. Thank you for being here. Thank you for supporting me no matter what. You could be spending your time doing literally anything else. I love you. I love you guys. I really do. I know people say that, but like, if there's anything I can do for you guys other than pouring my heart into my content every day, let me know. Here's to another year. Uh, well, cool. That was an awesome interview. Awesome. Likewise, uh, I really appreciate, appreciate it, guys. Man. Such good questions, and, and I really appreciate you guys just reflecting. It's super fun. All right, so that was our conversation with Ryan Trahan. Not only is he an awesome creator, but he's just an awesome guy. Like, that was so fun to talk to him. He is a 10 out of 10 guy. Samir said he's a 7 out of 10. I don't know why he would say that. I did not say that, Ryan. But I, I think he's a 10 I, out of 10 guy. I did not say 7 <laughs> out of 10. <laughs> Just kidding. We both yeah, agree. Yeah. 10 out of 10 guy. So fun to have Ryan on the channel. Make sure to go check out his Penny series if you haven't watched it already. Maybe you saw it. It was number one on the trending page, obviously. Yeah. But it is such a good series. All the videos on his channel are amazing. Go check them out. And if you made it to this point in the video and you're not subscribed, definitely a good time to subscribe to the channel. We talk about the creator economy. We talk with creators on a weekly basis on this show. So if you're into that, definitely subscribe. Make sure to like this video. Comment below if you think Ryan is on track to becoming the next Mr. Beast. And make sure to check out Jelly Smack. The link for that is in our description. If you're looking to expand your audience and revenue across multiple platforms, definitely check out Jelly Smack and tell them we sent you. We have some really good interviews coming up in the next few weeks. So if you're not subscribed to the channel, make sure you subscribe so you can get notified about when those episodes drop. That's it, really. Check out Jelly Smack, subscribe to the channel, like the video, and we will see you next week. Roll the outro.